Um, oh, some streamers just went off into the crowd. Um, yeah, it's it's finally here. Took a little recon on my little brummy yesterday um, over the final climb, which is the Colt de Peak. So it's spelled Pike, P-I-K-E, but pronounced just P-K. Um, and it will be quite spicy. Anyway, ready to roll. Philippe Joubert looks serious, um, focused, um, and uh, yes, you can hear the noise in the background, the, the hubris of the Tour de France. Bonjour! It's a bonus Tour de France podcast alert. Hello folks and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents the Tour de France Le Tour Unplugged with me, Matt Stevens. Now, if you listened to my coverage of the Tour last year, you'll be familiar with this format, although I completely forgot what the format was earlier on before recording this and had to send a voice message to the producer, Niall. But I've got my head around the format and I hope you do too. So basically, I've taken my portable recorder on the road with me at the Tour and recorded some juicy behind-the-scenes clips so you hopefully can get a sense of what it's like to be in the thick of it at the La Tour de France. Now, we're on rest day one. I'm in my hotel. We're not far from the centre of Clermont-Ferrand. I'm staying in a Best Western Plus. Um, and to be honest with you, it's really nice. My voice might fade as I turn around and describe the scene outside the window. Basically, yesterday's stage was up the Puy de Dom. Um, and I can see the top of the Puy de Dom from here. Over. So they've got fields out the back of the hotel. Uh, I've got beautiful sunflowers. It is quite cliche in terms of the Tour de France, but it's absolutely stunning and quite beguiling. There's some terracotta roofs of a few houses spread over the side of this hill. And then in the distance, you can see the mighty Puy de Dom uh, rearing its head up at around 1,300 meters. It's of course a dormant, um, well, no, extinct volcano and is a natural, is a protected site actually. And that's where we're yesterday, so um, it's lovely. Um, in this first episode from the tour, I'll be looking back at my experiences over the first week of the tour, uh, of course, where we started in the Basque Country. Um, so it's going to be carbonic lunches, or CBLs, as we've named them now, uh, to how Philippe Gilbert ended up looking like he just stepped out of a nightclub in Berlin, all set under the backdrop of the biggest bike race in the world. Remember, I'm here at the Tour de France for Eurosport GCN, where you can watch every pedal stroke of every stage live, then rewind and watch again live and on demand on Discovery+. Plus. Now, my first clips come from the beautiful Basque city of Bilbao. It is absolutely stunning. Now, before stage one, I went for a pre-race coffee with world-famous Spaniard Alberto Contador, who, of course, works with us at Eurosport. Then I won a foot race uh, against some rival networks to interview a stage-winning twin. Well, uh, I'm with Milky and Gary in a little bar next to our hotel with Alberto Contador and there's just people queuing up, uh, but the lady behind the bar, uh, Gary, didn't realise who Alberto Contador was, did she? No, she didn't. No, she didn't. He's famous and it's like, well, clearly not, because everybody's swamped. Uh, and it's, it's a coffee bar, not an alcohol bar. No, it's a coffee bar. We, yeah, we are on duty after we all, are, and there, there'll be no drinking on duty. And uh, Anders... We had a really, like, a real Spanish lunch today, didn't we? Do you want to just describe what we had for lunch? Yeah, we had the, the old Shanghai. 
I think that says everything. <laughs> Vietnamese street food. Yeah. Well, it was a bit of everything in Asia. I think we had some Taiwanese, some Thai, some, some Chinese, some yeah, mixed with uh, some Basque. Yeah, it's because we're going to be having a lot of uh, car bonnet lunches going forward into France, so we thought we'd have a nice sit-down one. And we are an international channel after all, aren't we? We are. We are. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Albert. Home of cycling, home of uh, multicultural uh, dining. L- lunches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Alberto's surveying the scene. Well, you know why it's five cortados and we are four? Because after 15 years professional, I need uh, two cortado when I drink coffee. There you go. Alberto needs two cortados uh, to get going. Well, great stuff. Uh, I'll leave it there. So, um, well, the dust was settled on stage one. Flipping heck. Um, yeah, we know about the result. Yates won, Yates two. Um, Yates two, which was Simon on this uh, occasion, um, I was tasked to do an interview with him. We had to run approximately one kilometre, um, me and Pete. Um, it's not called Podcast Pete, Producer Pete now. Um, it's been Producer Pete for a couple of years, actually, but I had to run, um, and, and I actually dropped ITV. Uh, in a running race I dropped the Americans dropped France Television and I'm not supposed to run because of my dodgy knee but I, I show I'm 53 remember um, and I showed a lot of youngsters um, a clean pair of heels me and Lucy Martin um, two Olympians in fact when you think about it Lucy Martin Olympian back in the day um, running uh, to get the interview we run through a tunnel and, and uh, the uh, the uh, J.K. Walula bus was right near the end and I managed, and I was get, managed to get the first interest. I'm quite happy with that, actually. But uh, so that's pretty much day one done and dusted. It feels like we've been on tour for ages. But anyway, yeah, so um, running uh, is obviously clearly a skill you need if you're going to get interviews on the TDF. Stage one, I think everybody thought it was going to be explosive, almost like a one-day race, and it certainly delivered. Um, But who could have imagined that the one-two on the stage would have been Adam Yates and then Simon Yates? Absolutely incredible, especially thinking that the fact his parents were out on the route watching the race as well. Obviously, Adam Yates, who won, went into the yellow jersey. He got taken to the protocol, and I ended up running to get an interview with Simon Yates and it was the best part of 750 metres and I did manage to drop most of the press call behind me so I was quite impressed and he actually gave me once he'd uh, cooled himself down or got over the disappointment an absolutely cracking quite revealing interview and yes I was still out of breath and I think that was the start of my back problems as well on stages two and three now, where I got distracted by various fashion statements. First, a designer's shirt precariously placed on a backpack um, with a hanger and then how Philippe Joubert accidentally dressed for the Berlin nightclub scene. Right, we're uh, in San Sebastian, um, heading towards the finish. Well, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Laura, Laura Missinger, and uh, with obviously Pete, there's only one Pete. Um, we're working on his theme tune, uh, more of that later. But more importantly, Laura, what have you noticed? Um, we've got Pete here. Yeah. with a, a hanger hanging off the back of his rucksack with somebody's polo shirt. Can you t- tell us what it's all about? 
I don't know. I thought it was mine, but no. I thought he was carrying my clothes. Apparently, it's uh, from Alberto. Yeah. You know? He's, oh, he's in the moto today. So in this way, I, I think he will be fresh, clean, and ready for TV after the day in the motorbike. It's absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, Pete's carrying a camera, a big rucksack full of important stuff, and Alberto and, and, a, and Avi West, which subbeams signals into outer space then back onto your tellies uh, in short yeah um, but more importantly and I have to take a photo of this this should really be a, a video podcast but it is it's only in your ears not in your eyes but yeah um, it's basically <laughs> Pete looks like a travelling salesman or something akin to that is it Dolce & Gabbana it's Dolce & Gabbana totally Dolce & Gabbana I absolutely love it I'm going to take a photo now that's how you know whose it is uh, can you tell us how this arrangement happened Pete um, I mean I was just standing there and then someone put a uh, Dolce & Gabbana polo shirt from Alberto Contador on, uh, on my backpack really um, yeah, I'm just kind of the donkey of people at this stage I've been a driver now on the donkey that's certainly not the case of course but Alberto does like nice clothes all neat doesn't he he does so if I drop it in the water there's going to be trouble Pete can't do that no, I'm, I'll do my best not to but you know I can't promise anything here we go pressure's on so we're at the finish here in uh, Bayonne um, and Philippe Joubert is sat in front of me um, I, I, it's difficult to know how to describe it so I'll try I'll try uh, actually Philippe would you mind describing your your fashion look at the moment obviously this is a podcast but to describe it as best as you can because it's quite incredible I start from the top to the, the, yes. the bottom so I have my cycling glasses on from Ecoy like really high quality t-shirt of Eurosport very high quality yeah 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 it costs like pretty much one euro thirty maximum <laughs> if you buy ten it's less than one euro yes. and then I have my my badge accreditation my green bands then I have my uh, black shorts kind uh, of jean and then I have my uh, motorbike uh, <laughs> shoes because the, the guys they forgot <laughs> to bring my normal shoes to the finish so yeah I'm just walking around like that and uh, yeah just a lot of pictures take I've, just, I've never seen anything quite like it you've got very obviously brown legs but then you've just got these motorbike boots on but they're cut off motorbike boots and I, it looks like you should be in some strange nightclub, maybe in, yeah. in Berlin or something <laughs> yeah, like that. Maybe, yeah, like, oh, yeah Berlin or <laughs> another, another strange place like that, yeah. Cracking couple of... Well, the final two stages in Spain were great. Um, standout ride for me was Victor Lefay who was the only rider to go with Jonas Vingago and Talik Pagacha on the stage before. And then he ends up in the front group of about 40 or 50 riders coming into the finish in San Sebastian. Um, and with about a K to go, accelerated clear, nearly got caught on the line, but just held on for his first ever stage win at the Tour de France. And importantly, the first Cofidis stage win in 15 years at the Tour. So it was a massively significant win. It's a shame he seems to be moving on to another team, but he's a great rider. And then, of course, Jasper Philipsen won the first of his three stages the following day. 
On to stages four and five of the tour and the race transition to the high mountain passes very early, the Pyrenees. Normally we see the Alps and then the Pyrenees. This particular tour, I really do love the route. We're in the Pyrenees first. And there I was more focused on the CBLs, the car bonnet lunch experience, which almost eclipsed the anticipation of the race, to be honest. And I also encouraged two of my Eurosport GCN colleagues to try Yop for the very first time. Right, we're in the mix zone. We're ahead of stage four. We're in a place called Dax, uh, and I'm next to producer Pete. Um, just had a chat with Cav. But um, for the, our podcast listeners, Pete, can you explain the mix zone in in about 35 seconds? So it's a almost like a protocol area where the riders are forced through every day. Uh, we request the riders; they come through after going onto the sign-on, and they stop for interviews with us if we request them. Sometimes we don't even request them and they stop just because they want to say hello. But then we ask them about what's going to happen or how they're, you know, just their, their mental well-being, anything really we can ask them about and uh, and then they leave. And for the first time, and I don't think it's a coincidence, uh, we're very well explained by the way, for the first time, it was your birthday yesterday, Pete, and, and they've laid out the red carpet for you, haven't they? They have, yeah, I was very surprised. Um, we arrived and we walked down this red carpet and... Um, yeah, it was it was wonderful. People were taking pictures. I really, really felt quite special. I, I, stru- I struck a couple of poses. Um, I was very happy. Yeah, it's so nice of them to be so thoughtful. And uh, the thing for me last night about the celebration of Pete's birthday was we went in Rome. Well, we went to, of course, went to a Japanese restaurant, and you 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 were smoking at one point a, a indoor sparkler. I was. Yeah, um, it was a really, really wonderful surprise that I had a dessert. Um, the the woman, I think was told afterwards obviously I was told this they, the woman was told about three or four times whose birthday it was and that it was going to be a surprise and then she came to the table said whose birthday is it with a while holding an unlit candle and an unlit sparkler and a banana split and then everyone pointed at me and then she said oh no close your eyes and so I did and then suddenly out of nowhere to my massive surprise was a banana split with a sparkler the surprise was, was palpable in your face you just didn't not expect that, did you? I didn't expect it at all, but I was filled with love by my wonderful team. That's Pete Burton from Dax. The beeping sound that you're hearing now is the sound of lunch. And let's hear some beeps. M&M's, Kinder Bueno's, uh, Box of Melons, Wok Box, Tacos, Fanta, uh, Yop, importantly Yop. So we've just moved outside into the car park and we are having, or just had, a CBL, our first our first carbonate lunch. Um, we're just cleaning up now, primarily had sushi, um, bao buns, um, but we had to move the Yops and the Innocent Smoothies from the bonnet because it was actually warming them through. Um, just gonna have a, we haven't had so much of a chat with Ty yet. He just filmed me uh, in front of the cheese. We did a little cheese video, which you probably would have seen by the time this goes out. Um, but Ty, just talk us through your lunch. And, and actually, and fundamentally, what it's like to be back in car parks eating your lunch. I mean, cycling's great and all that, but this is what I've been waiting for. And I built the moment up so much in my head that I was kind of worried I'd be disappointed. 
but I've come here and it's just exceeded expectations. My stomach's tingling, smile on my face and couldn't ask for anything more in life really. I couldn't I couldn't put it better. And I actually think it's worth saying, um, Pete, when we approached the Leclerc, I mean all of us collectively, Julien included, and he's a Frenchman, mm-hmm. we we there was a silence first, wasn't it? And then you started to well up, and then there were, we were, were like, it was just something. Describe the feeling as we could see the big Leclerc sign. I don't know how else to describe it other than a crescendo of emotion. Mm. It started off with like palpable anticipation, and then it built up to the point where it was almost like raucous noise in the car, mm. and everything in between it went from. It was it was incredible. We were getting looks from everywhere just because of the sheer noise but then when everybody else realised where they were they did the same as well yeah. and um, one thing I know is that there'll, there'll never be there'll never be anything anything better right, Pete, than Pete, this it's alright Pete, Pete take your time just need to give Pete a moment isn't Okay, we've just stopped, start of stage one. Had a cracking interview with uh, Mathieu van der Poel. Uh, Adam Yates was on good form as well, ahead of the first big mountain stage. Uh, but I'm briefly here with Bob. Um, we're gonna head off to Leclerc and then we're gonna go to the finish uh, of the first big mountain stage. But importantly, we've kept our yop supply that we bought yesterday in the cooler. They're absolutely fine. But Bob, from the Netherlands, yeah. who is a top cameraman, um, camera person, uh, well, it's, it's one of the one of the best in the business. You've never had yacht before, no. So, in your own words, um, talk me through the experience. Yeah, it's really good. It was one of the best experience out of my life. Yeah, it, really. What? What? I mean, describe it to somebody that hasn't <laughs> had yacht before. What was it like? Um, the, the perfect mix between eating and drinking. You should be working for yacht, for the yacht marketing board. I'm an ambassador. Okay, I have lots of money to say this. <laughs> it's, it's cracking though, isn't it? Yeah, it's good, really good. And you had the raspberry one? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have the... Oh, I tried a parfum vanilla. You're kidding? That's yeah. kind of a little bit of Spanish in there, mate. Yeah, but really obviously good. you're with Laura. Uh, Laura's uh, just uh, just doing some, some family admin. How are you, Laura? Um, have you had a yop? Uh, no, I haven't. Would you like one? Is it cold or hot? It's cold. Yeah, which one should I take? We only have vanilla left. Vanilla left. Okay, let's you try. Just pop it, and, and then we'll just we'll okay. just. So Laura, have you ever had one before? Never in my life. Okay. Never, never. No, here we go. Wait, one second. Right, I've opened it for Laura. Yeah. And there you go. Thank you. Just hopping the pod microphone back. Is it a sponsor of your podcast? Um, it, we were trying. Mmm. Mmm. Hey. It's explosion of flavors <laughs> and emotions. Really good. It's amazing. That's a vanilla one. They are so good. Yeah, thank you so much. You look made the, my day. Look at your face. Amazing. The smile. We need that for, for a taste uh, for Philippe Gibbard's birthday later. Huh? Definitely. So, a little bit of time for reflection. We, I say we, me and Bob, first time we've actually paired up. Bob is one of the cameramen, amazing cameramen, as part of our GCN team on the ground. And we're here at... Cotroy Cambasque, first time the tour has been here in many, many years. And uh, only a limited amount of TV are allowed at the top of the climb. Um, so we've come up, we did a little piece to camera uh, with about three and a half kilometers ago, which was a lot of fun. And you might tell them slightly out of breath because we're walking uphill. And, uh, and Bob, what can you see in front of you, mate? Just describe for our listeners what you can see. Uh, uh, one thing I can say is that it's breathtaking. Yeah, it's beautiful. Lots of hills, a little bit of clouds, lots of sun. It's a stunning, stunning view. 
And we are here walking. Just like goats. <laughs> just like goats. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to steal that line. Here we are walking just like goats. All we need is a little bell round our neck. Yeah, yeah maybe. Or two. Or <laughs> <laughs> two. Bonjour. Bonjour. Yeah, maybe we can find one. Yeah, we're walking up. So basically, we can see a river to our left in this valley, this beautiful green valley heading out to these peaks. Now, the Pyrenees are mountains that are characterized by how green they are yeah. and how changeable the weather is, because we understood earlier on, although the weather looked okay on the top of the, the tourmalade really today, good. didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's just verdant green, and even the tops of the... We are at, I would say this is nearly 2,000 meters at the top because we are uh, 1,300 meters here, so maybe 1,800 meters, and it's just green and trees growing right on the top of the ridges, so there's a unique characteristic to the Pyrenees. It's the first time you've been to the Pyrenees? Well, you know, you know this climate. You've ridden yeah, it, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, I've been uh, with a car. I was filming it, but it was really, it was a stunning climb. climb. We're just looking down on the finish line, and it snakes around and kicks up to the line, but this is the first time, I think, Bob, that we been able to get here early and actually do a little bit of exploring as well which is which is nice for the first time yeah that's right yeah first time that's really good the atmosphere is good lots of people here i don't know how they get here but it must have been quite a walk yeah definitely because they're not letting anybody even ride up no. the last part there are not many bikes not many cars there's no cable car to here no it's uh it's 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 absolutely glorious this is what one of the beautiful things about the tour de france and uh I just thought I'd just pot about this because it's the first period time I've had to really reflect. Normally, it's everything's like 100 miles an hour, isn't it? We're, yeah. we're bit, we have deadlines to get to. We're rushing to the to the end of the race, but this is quite peaceful for once. Yeah, this it is completely opposite than the last days, but it's really good. Nice view, nice weather, beautiful mountains. Yeah, it's great, and uh, we might have to stay a little bit of time up here because of. The limited access we might have to wait an hour after the finish so we we had a good stop at a supermarket earlier um, which was really good because it was placed right next to mcdonald's so we could go for a wee and get a coffee <laughs> and then what did we get from the your yumbo visma friend he gave yeah. us something very valuable explain that yeah we can change it if we are not allowed somewhere we can hand it over and it's like a how do you say it a bill no it's like a currency basically currency, yeah. one of our uh, uh, so Bob's brother Steph is doing the documentary for Yumbo Visma and Netflix isn't he it's bits for Netflix yeah. uh, Amazon and uh, one of the press officers gave us a Yumbo Visma hat now that could give us safe passage through a blockage or something somewhere we can't go if we give it to a gendarme or a marshal we can easily bribe them with a Yumbo Visma hat so we're going to keep it and use it wisely we keep it secure secure in the back So stage four, Jasper Philipsen, another win. So back-to-back -back wins for the young Belgian, moving himself in the process into the green jersey. And we haven't seen a, dom a dominant sprint like this for a long time uh, because I think, oh, it's fair to say most of the, the sprint wins over the last few years have been relatively evenly spread out. So he, for me, over the last five years, is the big dominant sprinter and he's just getting better and better. And then moving on to stage five, a wonderful um, victory uh, by Jai Hindley. Of course, he's already won a Giro d'Italia. He's a class-class rider, but rode really disruptively. I was surprised, actually, that the, uh, the UAE and, of course, um, Jumbo Bisma allowed him into the breakaway but he got into the breakaway and uh, and rode away from them to the yellow jersey a magnificent win for him um but the significant move aside from the uh, the race win of the australian was jonas vingago dropping 
Tadej Pogacar with his first attack. And then flipping it round incredibly, I mean, I think it's fair to say most people thought, oh, um, great victory by Vingigo, but Pogacar, Pogacar clearly hasn't got it. Uh, he's under race, whatever. But then the following day, Pogacar struck back quite magnificently, um, took the best part of half a minute back and We've, we've, we've certainly got a race on the hand. That stage finished up the beautiful Coterie Cambasque, um, but a decisive attack by Tali Pogacar, real clinical effort, and there was nothing that Jonas Vingio could do about it, although he did hold on to the yellow jersey. On to stage seven, uh, another flat stage and an opportunity for Mark Cavendish to extend his record equaling number of wins at the Tour. But unfortunately, of course, it wasn't to be. I've just come away from uh, the Astana team bus. We waited there for like 20 minutes at the end of stage seven in uh, Bordeaux, boiling hot. I'm with Pete, I'm with Ty. History was almost made and then it wasn't. And that's bike racing. Uh, you'll know from when this goes out, the reasons why Mark didn't win, but uh, yeah, we're all on, on the edge of our virtual seats on the finish line today. And there you go, that's bike racing. It's, uh, it's balanced on a knife edge, isn't it? Um, I had a chat with Peter Cavendish after the finish as well, but I've, I've never seen Mark so uh, so disappointed. Um, but yeah, managed to get a good interview. But uh, you could the, the the bus was crowded with people. Um, it's a privileged job doing those interviews, and you've just got to try and hit the moment right. Um, but clearly, uh, Cav is absolutely gutted. But the race moves on, and so do we. So uh, he has another chance tomorrow, along with the rest of the sprinters too, but an amazing hat-trick for Jasper Philipson. Disappointment for Cav though. Um, he had a problem with his chain. We understood later on that there was a fault with the chain that had been put on that particular day. Clearly didn't really notice it during the day, but when he put some power through the bike, some power through the pedals, um, the chain kept slipping and it couldn't engage in, uh, in, the, in the 11 sprocket, so kept jumping from the 11 to the 12. Despite that, he finished second, but so, so unfortunate for Mark Cavendish. I mean, he was desperately, desperately uh, sad and upset, and I did manage to speak to him at the buses afterwards. But by the same token, another magnificent victory for Jasper Philipson, uh, making a hat-trick of wins. Now, it's kind of ominous, actually, that um, I said he had another chance tomorrow because, as we all know, um, stage eight would be Mark Cavendish's last at the Tour de France. That fateful stage to Limoges was actually won by Mads Pedersen, um, a quite magnificent str uh, sprint side by side with uh, Jasper Philipsen, but literally outpowered him. Mads Pedersen on a finish like that is almost unbeatable. If you look at all of his wins over the years, they've generally been up a long drag and he went very long, mightily impressive. But the flip side of the Mads Pedersen win, as you may know if you'd been following my Instagram over the Tour de France, I'm doing a new feature called Tat Talk. And I spoke to Mads Pedersen. He showed me his tattoos. I asked him if he could get another tattoo in the future. And he said, yes, um, if I don't win to stage at the Tour, my colleague Anders, who's working with us here at Eurosport, would, um, he'd, he'd get Anders' podcast name, which is called Half Willing on his thigh. But the flip side is, if Mads Pedersen won, then Anders, my colleague, would have to get a tattoo um, on his body of the stage and Mads Pedersen's name. So, as well as being filled with joy, because of course Mads Pedersen is a Dane, 
he was also filled with trepidation because he'd got to get a Mads Pedersen tattoo. And I do know that his mum was very, very annoyed. Now, I spoke to Philip Gilbert at the finish line, actually in the zone technique, which is where we hang out before we then migrate to just beyond the finish line. Um, it's where all the infrastructure is, where we pick up our cameras. And we had a nice chat, actually, um, and reflected on, on what might have been um, the last ever appearance of the Manx missile at the Tour de France. Well, what a stage. What, what, what a stage. What a day in the Tour for many reasons. The highs of... The win from Mads Pedersen and our friend Anders getting a tattoo. And then, of course, um, Mark Cavendish withdrawing from the race with a broken collarbone. This sport is so, so cool. Next to me is Philippe Gilbert, sat in a little camping chair um, with his hair all... He's had his helmet on all day. He's just got a little gaufre. Yeah, a little a Liege, from Liège. It looks very nice, actually, from a guy that's just come up. We're, we're in the, uh, the technical zone at the moment, but... It's been an amazing tour, Philip. You're sadly going to be leaving us tomorrow after the Puy de Dome stage, but I mean, we ha- we can't not talk about Mark Cavendish. What what a what a devastating blow! Yeah, exactly. Yesterday he did a good move. He lost maybe because of uh, the the gears, you know. So yeah, he could have won. I think that one. So we were like hoping he will ha- take his revenge in this tour. So today was clearly too hard for him. But uh, next week it was some opportunity again for him. And uh, yeah, a big champion like him always come back, you know. So I was sure he will uh, focus again, like go over uh, the Puy Dome tomorrow, get a good rest and, and come back. But yeah, I was behind the bunch and I heard the news like crash of Mark Cavendish. So we speed up with the motorbike, came there. And um, yeah, we saw straight away that uh, it was not looking good. So yeah, we, we passed them and I was stopping like 10 meters to 15 meters in front uh, of the ambulance. And uh, yeah, I could see that uh, it was not good. So yeah, it was a bad feeling. I was there seeing everything, not able to help to yeah, give him like one word. Like, you know, like I know at least like to have a, at this moment, like some kind words from people they know. So. But uh, you know, like when you're on a motorbike, you cannot jump off, and, and you have to stay on your role of, uh, you know, like um, a journalist for Eurosport. So you cannot uh, get really uh, personal with someone else. So yeah, I was staying there, but it was painful to watch. And uh, now, with a few hours uh, later, my feeling is like. I really hope that uh, Mark will find uh, another contract, find a motivation to fight back and uh, be back next year at the Tour. You know, it's like one more year, one more winter to go over. So I know winter is not always the best friend of Mark Cavendish, you know. So I really hope he can get uh, the motivation to maybe find find, uh, this this goal again and uh, yeah, come back with maybe an even better team uh, to support him. maybe someone who loves cycling will uh, invest for him you know it would be something nice you know yeah totally i mean it's uh, it's it, like you say it's uh, this is what people are talking about already and um, and it was lovely actually phil what in your in the moment when um, you're on the motorbike and you couldn't you couldn't console him in any way but it was lovely the when we did the, the interview at the end where you were speaking about Cavan and you looked in the camera and you said come back yeah and that's cuz you care you know we're all a a very big family and um, champions like him you know with the the luck that he's had 
you kind of want you want I think everybody wants that record to be broken maybe not Eddie Merckx but um, what, a, what a sad way to go out but it was a lovely touch I, it was a really a really lovely thing that you did to speak to the camera like that and uh, I think uh, it'll resonate with a lot of people so here we go next stage up is of course the Puy de Dom and um, yeah we just sat here everything's been packed away it's amazing how quickly the Tour de France packs up and move on and, um, and we thankfully haven't got a very uh, long drive tonight before we can have our meal and a couple of beers. Now next on my running order here is, it says here in Block Capitals, can we try and get a clip for stage nine? Now I did record a clip for stage nine in the hotel uh, just outside on somebody else's podcast machine. Um, but that somebody else is Anders Milky, and he's currently in <laughs> Claremont Ferrand getting the Mads Pedersen tattoo. And I've just got a text through from our team on the ground and he has got one. I'm looking at it now. It's in the shape of a number. On, on the back, like the dossards that you get uh, on the back of the jersey. And it's got um, Mads P, which is what is known as in Denmark, eight, because it was stage eight, and then TDF 23. And he's got it just under his buttock. <laughs> uh, right. So what did I get up to yesterday? Well, it was the stage of the Puy de Dom. Um, an important stage for me personally, actually, because I my first experience of the Tour de France was in 1986. And back then the race went up the Puy de Dom and I rode all the way to the top with my dad. And, and the Puy de Dom um, alongside Alpe d'Huez um, were two of the most iconic places uh, in my childhood because it was, I think it's there where I decided that I really wanted to be a bike racer. So I'm looking, for me now, looking out and, and thinking that I, was, I stood there as a kid. Um, it's quite, kind of quite, quite emotional, quite powerful actually, certainly enormously um, evocative of, um, of me being a kid, but quite different feeling on stage nine. It's, it's the status of the Puy de Dom has changed and it is a, uh, it, as most of you will know, it's an extinct volcano, um, but it's now protected. So there's only a limited amount of people that can ever go up there. So the Tour de France infrastructure was really limited and there was no crowd allowed for the last four and a half kilometers. So, Big doff of the cap, though, to Mike Woods, who actually took the stage. Um, but it was a shame we didn't have the crowd there, but we know why that was. And, of course, um, he is a, um, a previous Matt Stevens Unplugged guest. So a great win. Um, and unfortunate for Matteo Jorgensen, who was caught within about 500 metres. Um, otherwise, it would have been a, a North American one-two. But a cracking stage. We then finished, drove down the hill, and we um, are in this lovely hotel. We're here for three nights, actually, which is really, really lovely to stay in a hotel for three nights. And I ended up... I went out to get a beer um, yesterday um, on the day before the rest day and ended up being a guest on Ned's Never Strays Far podcast with um, with Ned, obviously, he's a previous guest of the pod, with Marcel Kittle, he's a previous guest of the pod, with Peter Kenyak, he's a previous guest of the pod, and David Miller, and he's yet to come on my pod, but I've been on his. And we had a chat and I did a 10-minute um, uh, yeah, guest appearance on their pod. And then um, I just kept looking at, um, what's his face? Um, Tibo Pino floating around with his baseball cap on backwards looking like a little bit like Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit. I don't know what that is in French. Right. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I certainly did. Uh, I'm going to be roving around over the next week or so, um, the next six days. The 
back of the tour hasn't quite been broken yet, but nine stages in, I've got two nice chunks now before I then move on to the Tour de France fam. And I think I'm looking forward to the battle now between Jonas Vingigo and Tadej Pogacar. It's delicately poised. Um, it's a cliche, but it is. It's, at the moment, I think it's fair to say it's 2-1 to Tadej Pogacar, although you could argue it's 2-2 because the upper hand in terms of the time is with Jonas Vingigo. And I don't think there's too much between them. I don't think Tadej Pogacar is, is certainly wiping the floor with Jonas Vingigo. And of course, he's very, very tactically astute and has an enormously strong team. So we move, we move. we've got a couple of rolling stages. Tomorrow on stage 10, we go to Iswa. Uh, we then go to Moulin. That's the next sprint stage. Then we've got another rolling stage in the Beaujolais region. And then we move into the Alps, the Grand Colombier, Morzine, and then Saint Gervais Mont Blanc, three epic alpine stages in week two, and then it gets even harder towards the back end as well. So, um, yeah, it's this week is going to be explosive. Um, I think the top two will probably move further away, but I think there's a lot of opportunities for breakaways too. Um, so, yeah, the Alps are always beautiful, so so different than the Pyrenees. The, the Pyrenees are very green, verdant, there's almost like a warmth, but the, the Alps. Um, offer up a completely different proposition and different types of climbs as well. So it'll be a different, a completely different feeling. Um, we will be doing some more carbonate lunches. We did one the other day that didn't make the recording uh, because it was so bad. It was um, off-brand sushi, which ended up in the bin. Um, so hopefully we can move on from that. Um, and get some better CBLs to report on. Uh, there will be some more fashion statements, uh, I've no doubt. Um, and also, Jens Vogt is joining us today. So Philippe Joubert has gone home. Um, Jens is joining, uh, joining us tonight for tea. He's a very animated chap, and I do need to get him on the pod. Might need to turn the gain down on the microphone, though, because he's quite loud, but lovely. He'll be on the motorbike, so he'll be guessing on the pod over the next few days. Lots and lots to look forward to. I cannot wait. I think I've been galvanized by this uh, by this rest today already. We're going to stay in the hotel tonight. We've got a nice meal outside and I cannot wait to get cracking over the next few days. This podcast was produced by Noel Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Uh, thanks to all of my colleagues at Eurosport GCN for putting up with my nonsense and uh, most of all to you as ever for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe and rate the pod and why not recommend it to your cycling friends or anyone you know who might eat their lunch off a car bonnet from time to time. But if you do do that, please make sure the engine is turned off because sushi is supposed to be cold. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye. Au revoir.